thank you, Kumar. Um, it's important that in two matters. One, it is the 10th, um, you know, webinar session by MEA. So it will go down in history by saying that a small country like Japan got prominence of the 10th uh, you know, webinar. And I'm very happy being a person from Japan uh, who studies Japan. Um, Middle East has never been even a purview from Indian perspective with respect to looking at Japan's perspective with respect to Middle East. And it is Kumar who drew my attention to this uh, uh, region. And the complexity of this region and the way Japan has negotiated itself between the US-Japan alliance system and continuing to have an engagement with Iran has been a very tremendous uh, you know, journey of diplomacy and politics. And who better than uh, Tanaka Koichirio to come to us, uh, take out his time and be here with us to discuss this interesting journey that Japan has had with Iran. He has, a, you know, if you go into his research thing, you see in the research gate, so much of work on this field, his appointments in various places like United Nations, where he had, you know, been part of policymaking, etc., gives him a, a tremendous advantage when he looks into this relationship, which is, you know, definitely much more complex than most of Japan's relationship with the rest of the world. So over to Tanaka Koichiro, and I would request you to start your presentation and we will continuously be having people to join us. Currently, we have 21, 21 uh, people who are keen to listen to your talk. So over to you, Tanaka Koichiro. Well, thank you for the introduction, Slavani-san. And I'm really thrilled and also honored to be the 10th speaker of this session uh, that is the Middle East Institute has been conducting for a while. Um, I see my friends here, Kumar, and also uh, Dr. Kesishian, which I, uh, whom, uh, both of them whom I knew from the past. And it's really also an important opportunity for me to address the issues related to Iran, but also Japanese diplomacy vis-a-vis -vis the Middle East uh, in, in, a, in, the, um, uh, in a broader perspective. Now today I'll be drawing some, say, analogy from uh, the past and also to try to see what is happening of today and to see how we see the current situation related to Iran and the United States as well. Because it's not only about uh, Japan and Iran when it comes to our uh, bilateral relationship. The, always there is a factor, a very important and large element of the uh, presence of the United States. Uh, has a say in uh, our relationship with Iran. So I'd like to also uh, draw your attention to that as well. As a background, I'd like to uh, talk about the developments that have, have been happening over the past 90 years or so. Uh, year 2019, which means last year, was the 90th anniversary of our diplomatic, uh, formal diplomatic relationship established between the two countries. So uh, our relationship with uh, Iran is not a new one, uh, like our relationship with the United Arab Emirates or Bahrain, which only uh, gained in, uh, independence in the 1970s. It goes way back to the 1920s or even beyond that, because uh, immediately following the Meiji Restoration in the uh, late 1800s, 
uh, Japan in those days already dispatched a uh, representative of its own to tour the region, West Asian region. One of the trips that it made was to Persia in those days, the Gajaris. And it uh, recorded a very intensive uh, note that is also, say, quite um, interesting to read today. Unfortunately, it's only in Japanese. And there is sort of an unofficial Persian Farsi uh, translation to it, but unfortunately there is no English version to that. But uh, the story tells of how the people were uh, living in those days in Persia and how they perceived uh, their own country and other states as well. And one point that which happened later uh, after the turn of the century, which was also important not only to Persia, but also to uh, Turkey as well, or the Ottomans as well, that we had a war uh, fight with the Russians. And the immediate consequence of the, Russia, the war with the Russians was that Japan uh, prevailed over the Russians. And that sent sort of a uh, special message to the countries in the region which had traditionally been uh, finding annoyance with the Russians from the, its northern uh, neighbor. Now, having said that, uh, we in those days, meaning the 19, late 19th century and the early 20th century, uh, Japan was an imperial state and so was Iran. So we uh, shared sort of a commonality uh, between having the two states or two monarchies, Eastern Asia, like Japan, and the Iranian uh, Empire in the West Asia. And that uh, turned into another, um, say, uh, development. Following the Second World War, after the World War II, uh, we understood that the resource-rich Iran would be extremely important for our relationship uh, with the other uh, outer world. And even though the Iranians were defeated in their initial um, say movement of nationalizing their oil industry, we still had an opportunity to send in a oil tanker to uh, to Abadan, not Bandarabas, to Abadan, to collect uh, Iranian uh, petroleum uh, goods to ship uh, into Japan, despite the existence of the British and U.S. naval blockade. So this was a sort of a historical moment that reached its height in those early uh, days. That happened in uh, the 1950s. And we were still, in those days, Japan, was, uh, were at, at the verge of the reconstruction of our own following the World War and the devastation that we experienced uh, throughout the years of war with the United States and its allies. So uh, we were looking for a stable energy uh, supplier, and we went to Iran. And of course, Iran welcomed us, and we had, had sort of a very a, say, cordial relationship ever since then. But uh, that even turned to an even deeper uh, mutual understanding and coordination and cooperation in the 90s, uh, I mean, the 1970s, I mean. And that was that the Shah, uh, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi, uh, the Shah in those days, were looking for an alliance with a non-European non or non-Western state uh, to, uh, say, extend its ability, the Iranian ability, and transform it to an industrial state. And one of the, uh, say, um, partners that uh, they considered, I mean, uh, he considered as very important was Japan. So uh, in the 1970s, what happened 
what it just this happened slightly before the uh, first oil shock, but still carried on after the uh, oil shock as well, was that the Iranians were willing to give uh, the Japanese companies a concession to develop its own oil fields. One was in Lodestan, uh, the province of Lodestan, and there were several others on the offshore oil fields. And none of them turned out to be successful in its uh, exploration. But nonetheless, uh, we in turn uh, promised the Iranians that we would develop and also establish a petrochemical uh, plant in Bandar Shahpur. In today's term, it's uh, Bandar uh, Khomeini in the Persian Gulf. So this was sort of a reciprocatory uh, uh, move that we shared in those days. But that was the 1970s. Then came the revolution. The revolution of 1979 occurred. The Iranians say, curtailed their relationship with the West and also with the Americans. Or at some, time, at some moment, they even had a, a cessation of diplomatic relations with those states. Now, uh, in those days, we, what we found interesting and also important for us, our strategy, was that Iran remained to be a major OPEC player or actor. And also, it meant that it was a non-Arab uh, state. And this was slightly different from the Arab states that uh, lie in the Persian Gulf, including Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates as well. And we did uh, still uh, require an amount of oil that we used to um, uh, say, uh, rely on Iran. And to give you an idea of how our reliance on Iranian oil was in those days, was that up in the year 1972, at one point, at one year, uh, we were uh, importing roughly half of our total necessity of oil from Iran alone, 47% uh, plus. But this was sort of an annual sum up. And if you look into the details of month by month, at one point you have like 70% of oil coming from uh, during a single uh, month uh, coming from uh, Iran. So Iran was a major player in the Japanese oil market and we were heavily reliant on them. But, was the, but what happened following the revolution was that it's, uh, the Iranians had or the revolutionary Iran faced difficulties with its uh, former uh, Western allies, including the United States. And some of them actually did uh, curtail their relationship. Still, uh, Iran was moving towards, at least in their minds, uh, for industrialization. And even despite, uh, despite the fact that uh, Westernization was targeted by the revolutionary movement, their idea to modernize the country in an industrial form was still there. So uh, we remain to be a major uh, trade partner, trading partner with Iran, as well as our, say, willingness to export our technology uh, to Iran if, uh, say, uh, conditions allowed to do so. But despite the uh, isolation of the uh, revolutionary Iran, we did uh, proceed with our own diplomacy. Uh, and since uh, 19, uh, September 1980, Iran faced the attacks of the Iraqis, uh, which lasted for uh, approximately eight years. And even those days, uh, we tried to maintain our neutrality and try to mediate to, uh, to form a sort of a understanding that would end up in a ceasefire. Of course, it would never, we never succeeded in that attempt, but our willingness and our overture 
uh, to the Iranians as well as to the Iraqis who were uh, there present, uh, as obviously there. And we maintained our cordial and also uninterrupted relationship with Iran throughout the 1980s, 90s, and up until today. That hasn't changed. And one thing that uh, most people don't understand is that we do share, uh, I mean, we meaning Japanese uh, and with the Iranians do share one point that uh, throughout the uh, experience of war, which is the victimization through the use of uh, WMDs. We suffered from the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki A-bombs while the Iranians suffered from the Iraqi chemical agent attacks. And during the eighties, we have admitted a number of Iranian uh, civilians uh, to our hospitals to be treated of uh, these uh, chemical attacks. So there is some commonality within the two states and also the nation. Now, turning to the point of uh, what is happening in these days is that first of all, the bilateral relationship remains strong in our minds. Uh, year 2019, meaning last year, not only was it the 90th anniversary of our diplomatic, uh, formal diplomatic relationship, it was also a year that in a single year, our prime minister visited Tehran after 41 years. The last uh, prime minister to visit Iran was back in 1978, prior to the revolution. So this was the first opportunity for a Japanese prime minister to visit the Islamic Republic. And six months later, at the uh, end of December, towards the end of December, President Rouhani uh, visited Tokyo. And this was also the 19th, after the, in the absence of 19 years, this was the first opportunity that the Iranian president was here in Tokyo as well. So 2019, our bilateral relationship was at its sort of a height, uh, meaning the say, um, two uh, leaders uh, visiting each other's uh, capitals. But one thing uh, that never happened in the past or was not there in the past was the unilateral U.S. secondary sanctions that kicked into effect as of May 2019. And this had a tremendous negative effect on our relationship with Iran, meaning that Starting from March 2019 and onwards, Japan solely, I mean, uh, Japan did not, was not able to import a single gallon of oil from Iran. And this has never happened in the past, ever since the 1950s, when we started lifting Iran, uh, Iranian oil uh, during the nationalization crisis, uh, nationalization process of the Iranian oil industry. And that was the uh, uh, moment, I mean, that was sort of a difficult uh, moment that we are facing, the challenge that we are facing as of today. It remains during the uh, year of 2020 exactly the same. So uh, our governmental statistics tells that uh, during the physical year of 2019, which started from uh, April 2019 and went on to uh, 20, uh, March 2020, we have not lifted any single liter or gallon or barrel of Iranian oil. And this is unprecedented. And surely it would have a negative effect, uh, if not today, in the future of how Iranians would see Japan 
uh, as a friend or an ally or any, uh, any partner uh, or a reliable partner in that sense. This was the bilateral issue. Now, the regional issue is also surmounted. Now, in the Middle East, as we have seen recently, the United Arab Emirates has, uh, is moving forward to establish its full diplomatic ties with uh, the state of Israel. And the Iranians are totally annoyed with that. As it was only about yesterday that uh, Ayatollah Khamenei had strongly uh, condemned the UAE decision to uh, establish its relationship and called them as sort of a traitor. But that's not the only issue. Now, uh, there are several uh, incidents at sea uh, during 2019 that was recorded, the attacks on oil tankers or other uh, ships, vessels, uh, traveling through or navigating through the Strait of Hormuz or through the Persian Gulf. And this has raised sort of a, uh, uh, say, alarming bell here, uh, ring, ro rang an alarming bell here in Tokyo, that what is going on uh, there? Some say that uh, they, they see the hands of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, into these attacks. Some argue that they don't. We are not uh, able to find uh, the source uh, that would tell what is actually what has actually happened. But the uh, tension is rising. And not to forget that January 2020, uh, just after the turn of the year, we witnessed an incident that uh, may have led, some say that may have led to the uh, World War III, uh, which, already, which also is sort of an exaggeration, but yet uh, there was an, a heightened tension uh, starting from that point. So uh, the Middle East is in turmoil, and we do have an interest in the Central Asian republics as well. And we have considered that Iran could be a possible gateway to our access to the Central Asian republics, just like I believe India has been eyeing Iran about. And for that matter, we have had our prime minister and also your prime minister, Indian prime minister Modi, have had these uh, sort of discussions or summit meetings to try to coordinate our efforts uh, in uh, say curtailing or countering Chinese influence in the region not only in the seas, but also on land. Now, uh, Iran falls into this category, uh, meaning that uh, the port of Chabahal and its uh, development plans have been sort of a source of interest for India as well as for Japan. We have been trying to, say, delist the region as our, uh, for the Japanese nationals to not, uh, from the no-go uh, zone, uh, designation. We here in Japan have this um, foreign ministry of Japan have listed a series of locations, ge uh, geographical locations throughout the world where we could, where they consider that it is not safe for Japanese national to be engaged in any sort of political or economic activity or even humanitarian activities. And uh, southeastern part of uh, Iran, meaning Sistan and Baluchistan province, uh, unfortunately falls into that uh, category. But uh, the Japanese government has tried, or somehow tried to circumvent that sort of a uh, listing and have delisted the port of Chabahal and its surrounding areas from that no-go zone, or the red, so-called red zone that Japanese nationals are not allowed to be there. 
So uh, despite the fact that we've been trying so hard and also that we have tried, I think India has equally tried to talk to Washington that the uh, Port of Chabahar and the surrounding regions are detrimental for uh, to establish an access or alternative access to Afghanistan and Central Asian states is important and vital. And for that matter, uh, even under Donald, uh, President Donald Trump, which has uh, exerted extreme uh, pressure against Iran, the uh, Port of Jabahar and its development has been, say, uh, receiving a, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, a, oh, sorry, um, are, are not in, are, say, delisted from the sanctions regime of the current uh, U.S. administration. So uh, this the uh, waiver that the U.S. president has allowed to give to the development of Chabahar remain to be our and also India's as well and also the for the Iranians as well a source of convergence where we could uh, act and also have sort of understanding and cooperation together with us and strategically speaking we India. Americans and Australians who are forming the Quad, so-called Quad, have, uh, have its interest in the free and, uh, free and open Indian Pacific. And this is sort of a way of how to curtail or counter the rising Chinese influence at sea, at least. So uh, for that matter, uh, for this uh, reason, uh, Chabahar remained to be a very important location and also a point of convergence for not only us between Iranians, but also even the Americans uh, used to understand that. Problem is now apparently the Iranians uh, have brought in the Chinese uh, for the development of the railroad uh, from the port of Chabahar to the, uh, to the northern city, uh, uh, I mean, uh, to a, a city northern, uh, north to Chabahar called Zahedan. And that is going to be sort of a trouble for us as well, because if you are going to see the Chinese hand in that region, it's going to be not only a competition, but also sort of a sign, a signature that the Chinese influence in Iran is rising. And we have another indication to support that sort of a concern. And that is the so-called 25 year long-term cooperation agreement between Tehran and Beijing. It's still under consideration between the two countries, two governments, but uh, there is a lot of concern, a lot of animosity here and there, even in the Iranian Majlis, the parliament. There are signs to show that uh, they are quite, say, um, dubious about the Chinese in intentions, and we are as well. But that is the most recent uh, development that we can talk about uh, that is added to the, uh, say, um, political dimension of the uh, regional, say, struggle, uh, power struggle. And not only, uh, not only that, uh, again, I'd like to reiterate about the Asian Pacific, meaning the uh, free and ocean, uh, free and open Indian Ocean, right? And internationally, uh, we have been promoting the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons and also WMDs. So the JCPOA, the Joint uh, Plan of uh, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the so-called nuclear deal with Iran, even though Japan is not a signatory to it, we do support it. And here, in terms of the United States, we are not uh, happy with how the U.S. has been conducting its unilateral, uh, say, pressure 
uh, against Iran. And we are also concerned about the uh, spread of violence, terror, or extreme extremist violent, uh, violent extremism and so-called terrorism in the region. Now here, uh, Iran has been alleged, has been condemned uh, here and there of its, uh, say, um, relationship with so-called um, terrorist organizations, as well as uh, non-state actors in various states. Now, uh, we are also concerned about these uh, developments, and we are uh, talking with Tehran with that. So uh, even though we have been uh, quite comfortable uh, bilaterally, there are uh, rising, say, issues uh, that has been added, as has been, say, included, or has been injected into our bilateral relationship that is causing a lot of difficulties uh, to manage uh, here in Tokyo, as well as in Tehran. And the latest is the resignation of Prime Minister Abe. How it happened only a couple of days ago, uh, over the weekend, rather call it. And why I'm, uh, why, the reason why I'm telling this, or why I'm pointing to this fact, is that uh, Iran, regardless of who our Prime Minister would be in the future, remains to be a major importance for our diplomacy in the Middle East or West Asia, for sure. But it was under Prime Minister Abe's uh, initiative or his government that actually made possible his visit to Tehran, despite the fact that the Americans were totally against it in the initial stages, and also the return visit by President Rouhani to Tokyo. So now that he is leaving his office and his successor, we are not sure who is going to be. There are some names that have been floated and circulated. I believe that at least one of them will have a pretty good chance of becoming the successor to Mr. Abe. But yet uh, he or others may not have this enthusiasm to foresee our uh, closer relationship with Tehran. So that is a new challenge that has been only, say, uh, become visible and injected over the couple uh, past few days. And I will like to stop here and uh, allow the others uh, to provide me uh, with their insights and questions and uh, try to answer uh, if I can. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Koichiro-sensei. It's been extremely uh, you know, lucid and very compact journey that you made for the for our 90 years relationship that Japan has had with Iran. Um, uh, Mr. Sanjay Singh is very keen to start off with a question. So I, as a moderator, will hold on to my set of questions and take the audience questions first. Uh, Mr. Sanjay Singh, could you please uh, you know, join us? Thank you very much, uh, Professor. Thank you very much, Professor. Tanaka for this very comprehensive talk. And thank you very much, MEI. I think this 10th uh, uh, talk of MEI will be very useful because getting a perspective of a country which is placed similarly to India on the Iran issue is very useful. We are both, uh, both Japan and India and largely dependent on external energy sources. And therefore, 
like india i think japan also would view any disturbance any conflict in the persian gulf as extremely harmful to its interests mm-hmm. i'll also like to comment on the question that mudassir has also posed about there being conversation between japan and india on the middle east and i'm glad that uh, the two prime ministers as you mentioned also discussed the iran situation during their meeting my question to you professor is what would what should japan and india as members of the quad do to deal with the middle east and what should japan and india separately what initiatives can they take jointly to deal with this region i thank you like respond yeah please do okay well thank you uh, professor sanjay um it's very uh interesting to hear your views especially about how the quad is going to act on the uh say um joint uh interest in the middle east or in the persian gulf one point that i missed to talk about was that yes today even though uh we are not lifting any uh amount of uh, iranian oil uh to japan in our oil tankers uh iran remains to be a very important actor for, uh actor in the region for us uh the basic uh reason to that is that we consider it's not only about iran it's not only about the islamic republic it's not only about the iranians we consider that the destabilization of the middle east or the persian gulf region as a whole is going to be extremely detri- uh, disturbing for us uh, for asia as well and for that matter we are trying to engage iran not exclude iran uh from uh any sort of a negotiation package that we can offer now here i uh, try to answer your question it's very important to know that um india is also uh similar to our has similar views uh with uh, ours and that uh sort of a dialogue or an engagement iran uh with iran would be uh necessary and also be um say uh productive uh unfortunately we have an administration in washington that consider that if a, the other party does not compel is not uh, is not ready to um admit to the uh, is not to uh, give in to the um uh orders or demands of washington uh, they are not going to uh talk to them or so so it's always uh, so sort of a difficulty that we've been facing with washington is how to convince or how to uh, make the americans to uh, agree that uh, talking to the iranians are not in a way appeasing uh, the iranians and at least uh, some for some while uh, washington has been more understandable understanding in that matter during the obama second obama administration but now the uh, era is totally different or the atmosphere is totally different uh one thing that we may uh, suggest i may suggest is that we talk to uh washington uh, following the elections i believe 
uh, November elections uh, in Washington and uh, the United States and have them uh, alter or at least uh, consider a way out of the current, uh, say, um, I would say, uh, stalemate of both parties uh, only uh, shouting at each other uh, in thin air. But uh, one point, an uh, uh, additional point I would like to make is about the Australians. Uh, I have friends in Australian foreign ministry and I have lengthy talks with them. And I consider that their policy vis-a-vis -vis Iran also shifts from uh, administration to administration. It's not a very constant uh, policy that they have vis-a-vis -vis Tehran. And uh, that is going to be also another uh, issue that we need to have Canberra on board as well. Um, Muda, sir, would you like me to continue to ask questions um, uh, or do you think it's answered out here? I think one part is left out about the tension in uh, uh, tension in the Gulf and how uh, would one see India and Japan cooperating on this mm -hmm. issue? So could you please... Well, uh, one th important factor that uh, arose during 2019 was the so-called Operation Sentinel that several of the uh, Persian Gulf littoral states did uh, take part, as well as Israel uh, joining them from the perspective of intelligence uh, and information gathering and so on and so forth. Uh, we, and as well as Europeans, I do understand, uh, have been called by Washington to join them, uh, and to join this initiative, but we kept ourselves away from that. Now, uh, we have our own understanding and also own uh, fleet that has been dispatched to the region and also several um, uh, surveillance aircrafts that have been uh, patrolling the region. Now, uh, we understand that India as well is concerned about the tension rising in and out of the Persian Gulf. The joint effort may be so that we could have a coordination amongst ourselves but also indirectly with the Americans, because we have already committed ourselves to the Americans that we would be sharing our information with them, even though our fleet would not be joining uh, their, um, uh, uh, our naval ships would not be joining their fleet. So one way is to have our coordination by ourselves, if not under the name of Quad, but if uh, uh, under some sort of a bilateral uh, understanding with Delhi and Tokyo. Uh, we have Professor Kiji Chian uh, asking you uh, about what, since Japan and Iran loathes the WMDs, since both of them are victims, but you support the JCPOA knowing fully well that Tehran seeks nuclear weapons. So how do you, you know, see this contradiction, uh, contradictory stance that you people have taken? Well, um, I don't perfectly say that the Iranians are seeking nuclear weapons. They are seeking capability to build a nuclear weapons. So there's a slight tendency, of, I mean, slight uh, difference in the nuance. But also you can argue in from your viewpoint, I respect that. Uh, uh, the point that I, support the JCPOA uh, is twofold. One is that um, it has been sort of a diplomacy that had been, say, uh, say um, uh, 
diplomatic effort that have been uh, undergoing for quite a while, uh, including a lot of states that have been concerned, not only the uh, Europeans, but also even the United States. And at one point, people would have to understand it's not only about the Iranian intent or the Iranian capability. What they needed to preserve was the NPT, the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And the non uh, in order to pre, uh, pre, uh, pre, uh, preserve the uh, NPT, uh, the, any terms or conditions set forth by the parties negotiated with Iran uh, had to honor that. So as long as the NPT is there, uh, the parties uh, to the NPT, uh, the other parties to the NPT, including Europeans as well as the United States, had to understand that sort of an enrichment capability with Iran would remain, but under a strong scrutiny or a thorough, uh, in, uh, thorough and intrusive uh, inspections regime. And that was provided under JCPOA. That is the second reason that I support that. And without, uh, without the JCPOA, or if that is totally gone and is reckoned, uh, is uh, wrecked, uh, I see that I would foresee that the Iranians would have sort of a free hand and also a pretext in their own hands to go back to their activities in the early 2000s, not the late 2000s, I mean the early 2000s, which would be more of a concern for us, for India, for Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, Mutasar then draws your attention to the status of non-oil trade between Japan and Iran. <laughs> okay, um, this has gone to its uh, lowest degree. Uh, we hardly see any Iranian goods. We hardly are capable of selling any uh, goods to Iran. Um, it's not only about whether the goods are allowed under the export regimes uh, that we have against Iran. It's also that the transactions through the banking system, the financial institutions, is hampered by the U.S. secondary sanctions. And for that matter, uh, there is visibly very little that you can see. Most of them are related to humanitarian uh, goods that is quite essential in those days under the uh, spread of COVID-19 virus. Uh, you then have Ankita Sanyas asking you about how you see China's interest and Japan's interest in the Strait of Hormuz and how do you think it will impact the Japanese interest to connect with the Central Asian via Iran? I think you partly answered it during your presentation, but right. I think you can give a little more clarity on it, yeah. Well, um, when I talked about how uh, Iran is important or how the stability of Iran would be important for the rest of the region, including the Arabian Peninsula, I meant that it also applies to Asia. That includes India, that includes South Korea, and in Taiwan, and also China. So for that matter, the freedom of na uh, navigation through the Strait of Hormoz is sort of a, a condition that we both cherish, uh, meaning uh, the Beijing and Tokyo, we both want to see that, um, uh, say, uh, acknowledged and also, um, say, uh, maintained in that matter. Now, uh, in Asia, I mean, talking about Central Asia, 
this is going to be another uh, set of questions, I believe. Uh, it's not only sometimes that relates to China, but also with Russia as well. I'm not, I won't uh, say, um, go into the uh, issue of Russia today uh, that much, but all I'm trying to tell here is that Chinese interest with ja the, Jap the one of Japanese, uh, there are similarities, there are points of convergence, but when, I, when it comes to the regional strategy, I think uh, the current uh, BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative, and the Free, uh, Free and uh, Open Indian Pacific FOIP are competing with each other. And if that uh, competition is going to be, say, held not only at high seas, but also through Chabahal or through the ports of Iran towards Central Asia, that uh, we, we need to see that the Iranians would maintain some sort of a distance uh, with Beijing. But um, it's un quite unlikely at this moment that Iranians would have sort of a uh, say, uh, listening ear uh, to Tokyo. So we may have to wait until the next U.S. president to see whether they would reverse their actions against Tehran or not. As long as the U.S. under Trump, President Trump remains in a very harsh and strict, uh, say, uh, penable uh, manner, then, uh, then uh, Tehran has no other way to uh, look for uh, or look for an outlet, and that remains to be China. Uh, question from Al Alvitening Tojam. Sorry if I'm spelling, pronouncing it wrongly. Given the frequent occurrence of dangerous situation in the Middle East, is Japan looking at other sources for its domestic energy security? If yes, who are the potential source? I think uh, well, um, that's, a, that's a very interesting question because we have been uh, saying that. I mean, I mean, I know that the Americans have been saying about uh, the less dependence to Middle East oil since the 1970s and onwards. And it was only until recent that uh, with the development of their shale industry that they actually were uh, now capable of doing so. Now here in Japan, we've been talking that ever since the 1970s, the first oil shock in 1973, and still we haven't been successful. Uh, a couple of months ago, we recorded another high, uh, say, record of 93% of our oil coming from the Strait of Hormuz, through the Strait of Hormuz. So that tells uh, that we are still dependent extremely on it, and even though we talk about it, and that we need to, say, uh, diversify our resources. We have done that for coal. We have done that for uh, natural gas, uh, but we haven't been successful in oil and that remains to be so. But uh, one point that I would like to uh, reiterate uh, to stress here is that the amount of oil that we are lifting from abroad or importing from abroad is diminishing. 20 years ago, it was more than 5 million barrels per day. In these days, it's less than 4 million. And with the current uh, situation of this uh, COVID-19 disastrous economic downturn, uh, we are really uh, down to 3 million. So the total volume that we import from abroad is diminishing uh, year by year, month by month. That's quite so. But still, if you look into the context of from which region, which country, uh, our dependence on Middle East oil is extremely high. And uh, here, 
I've, I've talked about the year 1972 when we lifted around half of our oil from Iran alone. Today, the same situation is there, but the country is Saudi Arabia. More than 40% of our oil is coming from Saudi Arabia alone, and 25% or so is coming from the UAE. So th those two combined, uh, we are lifting like two-thirds of our oil from these two states. And we, uh, although we talk about diversification, we haven't been successful. So that's the reality. And um, I, I see that it's, because it's going to remain so. <laughs> Mr. Singh points out a very interesting, I think, uh, thank you for bringing it up into this forum's discussion. Um, what is Iran's, Iranian's hope proposal and how do you look at it? And hmm. what is your reaction to this entire proposal? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yes, um, it was quite interesting even for me to see or hear that the Iranians talked about an external uh, cooperation with their own initiative because their previous or long-standing, um, say, policy or strategy vis-a-vis -vis the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz was that they do not want to see external power or external states, extra-regional states, uh, in having any say or hand in it. But here, when they talked about, or the President Rouhani talked about it in uh, September 2019 at the UNGA, he did have bilateral talks with the Chinese leader and also to uh, Prime Minister Abe. In both cases, the uh, Iranian president raised some sort of a cooperation uh, or possible cooperation with this HOPE initiative uh, with China and also Iran. We never, say, responded to it. And I don't know how far the Chinese have, uh, say, um, responded either positively or negatively to that. But uh, seeing the most uh, recent uh, cooperation, long-term cooperation agreement between Beijing and Tehran, maybe that it may be, uh, that might be coming in the future. Uh, we had a question uh, which talks about how uh, do you see uh, Japan-Iran relationship post-COVID uh, cooperation? So mm -hmm. that's again, and you, I think... Uh, Probably it's a very futuristic right now with Japan's crisis of uh, leadership. Uh, hmm. so, but yet, if you could throw some light on it. Well, yes, at least for the time being, uh, for humanitarian gesture and for the humanitarian reason, um, motive, uh, we have provided our, one of our possible, uh, say, uh, medical care agents to Iran for the uh, clinical testing. Unfortunately, this um, agent called uh, Avicon, which was developed by a Japanese pharmaceutical company, has proven negative to have uh, any sort of a positive effect on the uh, patients or those who have been infected of the virus. Uh, we, have the, uh, we have provided this uh, Avicon, uh, this uh, medican, medicine or possible medicine to uh, not only to Iran, to several states in the region, as well as other states in Europe as well, but none of them proved to be successful so far. And I think that that was the only major um, the overture that we have uh, presented towards Tehran on this COVID matter. Uh, regarding the post-COVID uh, eras, well, um, 
first and foremost, we need to see the sanctions lifted, or at least to see the U.S. administration change course on its sanctions uh, policy vis-a-vis Iran. Uh, other than that, there is less that uh, very, very little that we can do with them, especially within the uh, economic sphere. Ahmed asked something which is, I think, very upfront and with respect to Japan and uh, Iran's relationship is considering that U.S. is making efforts mm-hmm. to impose the arms embargo on Iran. Mm-hmm. How will Japan counter the position? And I think you can sort of take the next question also along with it, which talks about impacting Japan's relationship with Israel mm-hmm. uh, due to the UAE and Israel's agreements. So, mm-hmm. Well, yes. Um, Regarding the U.S. move to reinstate the U.N. arms embargo or to, say, uh, extend the expiring uh, U.N. uh, arms embargo against Iran, uh, from a legal viewpoint, we consider that the U.S. move is null and void. But we haven't voiced that uh, in concern that it may antagonize uh, Washington or personally President Trump. Uh, Prime Minister Abe is known to have a very sincere and cordial relationship with the uh, U.S. president. Uh, For one reason is that he has avoided in annoying uh, or discussing anything that would annoy uh, President Trump. And if we are to take a sort of a certain position vis-a-vis the uh, U.N. arms embargo, um, then that is going to be sort of a uh, source that uh, would um, infuriate uh, the U.S. president, and that is unlikely under the uh, Prime Minister Abe's initiative. But maybe the next Prime Minister may have his, his own difficult, uh, different ideas. He may side more even further with uh, President Trump and the United States, and then we may voice our support to the UN, uh, U.S., uh, motives and its actions in the Security Council, although we are not currently the member of the uh, UN Security Council. Now, with our uh, with regards to the uh, Israelis, yes, do, we do have a sincere relationship with them, and we also voiced our support uh, of the UAE's decision uh, to establish its uh, diplomatic relationship with Israel. And that from one point that we consider that relations should normalize with other states. It's not only about us with other parties, other third parties with other third parties is also welcomed in that source. And if it would lead to any sort of a, say, um, uh, the uh, escalation of tension in the region, that would be also welcome. Because uh, if you say, if you consider that the Palestinian issue is an issue for all the Arabs, and if you consider that the Arabs are united in uh, the issue over the Palestinian cause, then we would uh, see another century uh, lost in the future. Maybe nothing would be happening in the future. If we see that uh, there is at least one state moving to another direction, uh, that may lead to other states uh, following suit and uh, gradually uh, the normalization of relationship with other uh, with other Arab states in the region may occur. So we have welcomed the move. But personally speaking, I do not see that as going to lead to a, um, say, um, enormous change 
in the uh, other Arab states at the moment. It was for the United Arab Emirates, um, well, ability, capability, domestic capability of being a police state, uh, having the capability of silence any sort of opposition within. Uh, I think that was sort of a possible way and gesture that uh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi was capable of uh, following or to enforcing. Uh, maybe Oman or Bahrain may be inclined to follow the same uh, route, but for them, they are not capable of silencing that uh, sort of a voice if it ever occurs. So at the moment, I would see that only the UAE uh, would be there to, uh, to cherish or to have uh, all the criticism from other states. One last question, since no one has asked this, um, you know, Please. part of the relationship between Japan and the Middle East, is to do with the ODA that uh, mm -hmm. game that Japan plays with respect to the Middle East and the ODA um, tool as a comprehensive security policy. What is your take on it? Because there's lots of academic interest these days on this area of Japan's um, diplomacy. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, ODA vis-a-vis -vis the Middle East or the region of the Middle East is quite different from our ODA with other states in the Asian continent or in uh, African states. Uh, the difference here is that most of the uh, oil producers, or I, I would say the oil producers and gas producers in the Middle East are the, do not fall into the category of uh, as a recipient to our ODA. So uh, what we are doing there is providing aid to the non-oil states in the region, uh, like Jordan, uh, Egypt, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, previously, Syria was also the recipient, but not anymore. But so um, what we were trying to do was to support the so-called Middle East Peace Initiative or the peace process following the Oslo Agreement in 1993, I believe, uh, to support that indirectly, having the states that have had uh, or normalized its relationship with Israel or, uh, or terminated its hostility vis-a-vis Israel would benefit from this sort of a peace agreement. And Palestinian uh, National uh, Authority uh, and also the uh, PLO and others have been uh, the recipients of this kind of an aid, not Hamas uh, or Hezbollah. But still, uh, Lebanon and other states in the region have been the, at the receiving end of the ODA. And our uh, policy vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Middle East, uh, or the ODA uh, policy vis-a-vis -vis the Middle East, is to support the Middle East Peace Initiative. Um, do, do you think Japan is also using this as an initiative for the permanent seat in the United Nations? Uh, well, I considered that as a yes uh, in the 1980s and 90s, but not any longer. <laughs> not any longer. Okay. Um, anyone else wanting to ask anything more? Yes, Kumar, I think. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I cannot uh, control the temptations. Um, you have suggested that the sanctions have completely removed the uh, Japan uh, importing oil from Iran. But at the same time, China has expanded its footprints in J Iran because through investments. Does it mean that, you know, you are at a crossroads in examining your Iran policy? Because at one level, you face American pressure. 
at the other level you face a Chinese pressure. Does it mean that uh, Japan has, to use a very um, telegraphic term, has Japan lost Iran forever? Mm -hmm. Well, I hope not. But uh, the problem here is that uh, I've been, we've been talking extremely and extensively with Washington over the past three decades, at least as I understand, <laughs> is that if we leave Iran alone, it would do no good rather than harm. And it would do harm more than uh, good. And that eventually there will be other states replacing Japan's role as an importer of Iranian oil. And they may have more say to Iran or more, more influence to Iran, mm. but, necessarily, but, not, but not necessarily following the lines of Washington. Mm. So backfilling, as we call it, uh, has been a source of concern for a lot of years. And we've been extremely cautious in telling te uh, Washington that they need to take that into consideration. But uh, they never listened. And unfortunately, what we are gradually seeing to materialize is our concern is happening uh, as we speak. Any more questions? I don't see anything anymore in the chat box, but anyone who would openly want to ask a few questions? Uh, anything, if I can just add. Um, you know, uh, does it mean that uh, are you looking at the Arab countries differently now that Iran is becoming a problem. Are you engaging with the Arabs at the political level, not just only in the energy transactions, but mm -hmm. have there been political engagement with the Arab because mm -hmm. of the, the difficulties you face in Iran? Well, um, the, uh, re with respect to the Arabs, uh, we consider that uh, we need to maintain sort of an equal stepping with the Arabs, between the Arabs and the Iranians. Mm -hmm. It's not only that we need to take care of the Arabs. I mean, we, we have no, say, economic problems or any sort of a sanctions problem with uh, the Arab states, uh, uh, unless it's, we were talking about Syria or Yemen. But uh, with regards to the political, uh, say, weight that most of the Arab states do hold, uh, they are not capable or they may not be capable of, say, securing the entire region. Of course, mm -hmm. Iran is not capable of securing the entire region. It may be capable of disturbing the entire region, let's just say. But uh, non, not, non, not, not single, no single state in the region is capable of maintaining the stability. And it, that also applies to the United States. Even if all become silent and the United States is there, the region would not be stable uh, either. So what is required is that at least the major players, actors, including Iran, Saudi Arabia, and to an extent these days, uh, Iraq as well, all these three, at least, that are, say, uh, facing the um, uh, Persian Gulf would have to act uh, not on their own, collectively, in, a single, in, a, in one direction, with an understanding that they would work together. If Iran is gone, I foresee that there will be turmoil uh, in the region. If Saudi Arabia is gone, equally the same. Mm. We've seen during the 2000s, following 2003 Iraqi invasion by the United States, how a single state like Iraq, which holds only several kilometers 
always uh, say um, coastal waters to the Persian Gulf could destabilize the region. Mm. Now, if that happens with Iran, which has the longest uh, seashore across the to be disastrous, and so is Saudi Arabia, UAE equally. So uh, we, there needs to be a certain understanding uh, that all of them is required to be there. Yes, Shabani. Yeah. Uh, are we any more questions around here, or uh, do we look at? Thank you, uh, Professor Tanaka Koichi, for joining us late evening from Tokyo uh, on a very interesting subject of uh, concern today, more so because we move into a, you know, probably an era of uncertainty after the COVID, followed by a changes in leadership that one is witnessing. Um, you have Japan, you know, looking at leadership change. America is up for a game-changing, hopefully, okay. and we see more stabilities originating within the alliance system, which has also been a part of a with respect to Japan-US relationship, which definitely impacts the our relationship world. So we look forward to hearing you post the US election. Mm -hmm. And hope that uh, we can again engage you in much more, uh, you know, open discussion, maybe a panel discussion, Kumar, where we can bring in uh, people who would be in, uh, you know, looking at the post-election uh, US and how it would impact the Middle East. Right. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you, audience, for your interesting and very uh, pertinent questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kumar, as usual, you've been upfront in bringing across people from across the world into this forum to engage and discuss in the COVID situation where all of us are doing work from home. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.